0: Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we continue to prepare for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we rejoice that as Elizabeth and Mary met and the baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, so we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, trust that Jesus is our Savior, that He is God in the flesh, that He is your love for us. And so, dear Lord, as we live our lives anticipating his second coming. Let us live lives of hope and of trust in Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, that we have life and salvation in his name, and let us learn to love as you have loved us, and he taught us to love one another. Bless us now as we study this word. May these words of John continue to show us our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so one thing that we didn't do last week that I want to do, so I'm going to because I'm in charge, is I want you just to listen to the prologue. Just listen. But part of the, the problem with the way we do Bible study is we break it up into little chunks, like little verses, and you kind of lose the context. So I just want you to listen to the prologue. You can follow along if you want in your Bibles, but, but it really is meant to be heard. So just listen to it. I'm going to read it to you. Just the first 18 verses of John. In the beginning was the word... that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's the prologue. So as you listened, hopefully you heard repetitive words. One of the things we we touched on briefly, but I just want to kind of show you a little bit, is that John wrote this in what's called step parallelism. Step parallelism is a form of circle composing when you write in such a way that each line uses something from a previous line and then builds on it. So if you look at this, it says, in the beginning, right, was the word, right? And then it says, and the word was with God. And then it says, and the word, and in Greek actually it says, and the word was God? Okay. Now in Greek, it's it says God Word, but that's because it doesn't matter which order the words are in. But it's actually a step parallel that goes like this, and and what you'll see is is that he repeats words. So the word Word is repeated here. Also, the word Was is repeated in the first couple of verses, and then in the verse two it says this one, right? Yeah, this gets a little hard to diagram. But then it says this one, which is not, he doesn't repeat the word word because he's already used it three times. So he says, this one was in the beginning, right? So he's going back to this phrase with God. Okay. So now in these first two verses, how many times do you have the word God Three. How many times do you have the word word? Three. Okay. So this is the way that John does this. He structures his writings. You'll see. The same, you'll see the same thing in First John, where a lot of times he'll use a word three times, and he'll use it in such a way that it's parallel, so that you understand it's a unit. So this word and God are used three times in these first two verses. And the verb that keeps coming up is was, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God, right? He was in the beginning with God. So now he breaks his pattern because there's four wases instead of three wases. And this is the other problem with John is just when you think you've got him figured out, he breaks his own pattern, okay? So John, as an author, is just... He's amazing in the way he crafts his language, but he also never fully conforms to an order. He's always doing something weird where you say, okay, he did this, he did this, therefore he's going to, and then he doesn't. And you go, why not? I don't know. He just didn't. So, but that's what we're going to see as we go throughout the prologue is this this will continue to happen is that he's going to have these little units in which he uses words in parallel with each other, but also in a step pattern. He'll use them usually three times, sometimes two times, sometimes four. But usually you can see a collection of words and that's a little unit. Okay? So verses one and two kind of form a little unit. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Okay? That's a little unit. And that has actually said everything you need to know about God and Jesus. You just don't know that yet. Okay? So we're going to explain that then. And one of the things that we're going to learn is, is that the Gospel of John never calls Jesus the Word outside of the prologue. Only in these verses is Jesus called the Word as a title. This is really weird. But the rest of the Gospel is going to explain what John means by these verses. Okay, so it's a prologue, meaning it's going to explain the text, but but it's kind of a, it's a little different than the rest of the gospel. Okay, any questions from last week or thoughts that you've had that you wanted to explore? Susan, not to be a stickler, but why isn't
1: was? Why isn't
0: its Because yeah, that's a very good question. Um, the the use of the word was is one of the more um, discussed things in these verses. There, there are lots of things written on this. And most scholars come down on the side of this shows that Jesus is eternal. So this is giving the idea of eterni- eternality to Jesus. That the word was, meaning there never was a time when he wasn't. So it's, it's more eternal than just is. Is. Like if he is, maybe he wasn't, but no, he was, and he still is, but he was. So it's, it's usually looking back and saying that this is the eternal um, pre-incarnate, right? We talked about that last week before his incarnation, that it's, it's eternal ideas. Tom. Well, it, isn't,
1: I, it looked to me to be context, it was, was used
0: because of context, because he starts off with very, yeah, so it's uh, it's back, it's looking back, yeah. but it's also looking ahead, and we'll we'll get there. Yeah, um, it does move a little bit, because um, because the light shines in verse five is actually a present verb, so it does move a little forward in this, and we'll see how that kind of works out in the prologue as well. Is that there is a historicity to it and a, a current idea to it as well but was is usually seen as a verb that indicates um, that this is that Jesus is the eternal word this isn't something that's, that's located in a time of history that this is true for all of eternity
1: isn't it also as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall
0: be is yeah that same principle like yeah. That? yeah I mean that's where we got it from so, so, in the book of Revelation, God is described as the one who, who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, right? So, it's the, the eternal, eternality of God, that he's an eternal God, okay? And Jesus, in these first couple of verses, shares all of the qualities of God. That, remember, that's what we talked about last week, is that any quality you can think of with a father, as far as him being God, Jesus has those same qualities. right? So Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is omniscient. Jesus is eternal. right? Yeah? Okay? You guys okay? You guys awake? What's going on?
1: question beginning?
0: It's before the beginning? Beginning. Yeah, just beginning. Yeah, so what we want to read is in the beginning is not at the beginning, but before there was a beginning. When the beginning occurred, God was already there. Right? So, whenever all of this started, whenever the creation began, whatever date that was, God was already there. And, and what John is saying is, and Jesus was already there. So, Jesus is not a result of the creative act of the Father. Okay? That's hugely important, by the way. Because this was, we said the Nicene Creed in church today. Yeah? If you didn't go to early, go to late. You'll say the same one. Um, But the point of the Nicene Creed is is to fight against a guy who was teaching that Jesus was the first thing God created. His name was Arius. Okay, Arius was a, a bishop in the early church and Arius taught that Jesus was the first and greatest of God's creations. So that Jesus is not eternal like the Father, but he's created by the Father and, and isn't, isn't fully God like God the Father is fully God. Right? That's what Arius was teaching. So now listen to the Nicene Creed. What does it say? And in Jesus Christ is only Son our Lord. No wait, that's the other one. That's, that's the apostles. What, how does it go? If we get into after, and in Jesus Christ, we say, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things. all things were made. So this creed is just hitting. We, we have God of God, Light of Light, Very God of Very God. See, this creed is written to say, No, Arius, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is not secondary to the Father. Jesus is not less God than the Father is. No, He is very God of Very God. He is one substance with the Father, right? So he's not, he's not a second substance. He's not less than the Father. He's equal to the Father touching his Godhead. That's the point of the Nicene Creed is to explain what John is saying in this text. Okay? So the, the point of John 1, 1 and 2 is to say that Jesus is fully God. So if you have Jesus, is bad, right? Ugh. Arius very bad. Although very prevalent in the church today. You will hear a lot of people teaching Arianism in the church today. Whenever you have any group that says that Jesus isn't fully God, they're going back to some form of Arianism. Okay? And it's still, unfortunately, very prevalent. Okay? But... Um, what we want to look at in, in this is, well, okay, so when you have Jesus, this is just review. We've done this before. I just want to review this with you. When you have Jesus, if you take God away from Jesus, what do you have left? If you take God out of Jesus, what do you have left? Nothing. You can't take God out of Jesus and still have something left because Jesus is fully God. Okay? There isn't a man that we put part of God onto. Jesus is fully God, fully man. If you take away man from Jesus, what do you have? Nothing. Okay? He is fully God, fully man. Okay. What percentage of God do you have if you have Jesus? Do you have one-third of God? Do you have all of God? Right? Fully God. Does that make sense? No. no. But that is what the Bible teaches okay so this is what John is trying to get Our this is why it's so hard to read through this quickly is because these are huge eternal concepts that our brains can't comprehend okay and the most amazing verse which which is on the, the back of the sheet is 114 when it says this eternal reality of word becomes flesh and dwells among us that's bizarre St. Augustine said, I've read Plato and Aristotle and the great philosophers, and you will find in them the concept of eternal word. You will find in them the concept of God existing before all things, but you will find nowhere in them the teaching that this eternity became flesh. Okay? And that's the heart of the gospel. This is why Christmas is such a big deal. Because when God was born as a baby, he did that for a reason. Why would God become a baby? Oh, well, he's going to be human. Mm-hmm. Why would he want to be human? Right, so he could die for you. See, this is the gospel. God becomes flesh, not just for some weird philosophical reason, or just because it was fun. He became flesh in order to save you, to die for you, to forgive your sins, to conquer death on your behalf. All of this happened because God loves you. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's God for you. God on your side. All of this eternity is now God loving you.
1: That was the promise back in the garden. Yes. Yeah, it's God fulfilling
0: the promise. Exactly. And then what, what we're gonna learn, good. What we're gonna learn in, in these first three in verse three and following is that all of this stuff you've learned in the Old Testament. It was all this story of this God becoming flesh. That's the point of it all. From creation on, it's always been the story of Jesus. And it always will be. Your eternity is the story of Jesus. Right? He will come again. And it's his kingdom that will endure forever and ever and ever and ever. And keep saying ever until you run out of ever's to say, right? It's not your kingdom. It's not anybody else's kingdom. It's Jesus' kingdom. So your entire eternity is tied up in this story, the story of Jesus. That's what John's saying. Okay? Okay. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 5 again, and then we'll, we'll get some questions in it.
1: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men the light shines in dark in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it
0: thank you very much okay so let's we're kind of going to move on to verses three and four now and five so what is found in jesus life Okay, so when you're going to think about Jesus, you want to think about life being found in Jesus. Is there life outside of Jesus? No. No. There is no life outside of Jesus. Now, do you know anybody who's alive that isn't a Christian? Yes. How did they get that life? Uh, Jesus. From Jesus. That's right. So, what John is teaching us is that the life of mankind right, is found in this word that will become flesh. It's found in Jesus. Now, I know this sounds a little strange, but what this means is that the life of any person in, throughout history is actually the result of God's love for them in Christ. When this whole world was made, the source of life was the eternal word. It was Jesus. And that's still true. As a matter of fact, if you look at it from, from the New Testament point of view, it's this act that, that God reacts to to give life to every person whether they believe or don't believe. It's this act through which God becomes gracious to the world to give food to everybody, whether they believe or don't believe. It's through this act that God becomes gracious enough to the world to sustain it in seasons, right? So that all humans can live. But what John is getting us to see is that, that, that every person whether good or evil, whether believer or unbeliever, they actually have life through God's grace because of Jesus Christ. Okay? Every human has life because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he reconciled the entire creation to the Father. And that worked in both directions, forward and backward. Why is God gracious to this world? Why? Answer. He created it. Yeah, he created it, but that's that's not really why. Why is God gracious to this creation? Because of Christ's death. On the cross. Because of Christ's death on the cross. Which means you can walk up to anybody in the world and say, I know that God loves you. I know he does. Why? What has he done? He died, for all. he died for all. Every single person. He sent his son to die for every single person. Whether they deserved it or not. Which is really good for a sinner like me who doesn't deserve, deserve it. Yeah? Yeah? And I know some of y'all don't deserve it either, because I heard you on, I heard you this morning say, I a poor, miserable sinner. I deserve temporal and eternal punishment. But that's not what I got this morning. Instead, I got forgiveness. Why? Because so of that. Okay? This is John 1 three, four, and five, really. Susan. Can
1: you run the replay on this again? Are you <laughs> talking about created life that Jesus is responsible for every person being born in the world? Or are you talking yes. about... Okay. That's got me
0: born. Yeah. All life. All life is His. There is no life outside of Christ.
1: And it's all eternal. Either
0: What's Lord, that? It's
1: all eternal, <clears throat> either with Him or apart
0: from Yep. So this is, this is the, the horrific idea of all of life being in Christ and now someone rejects the source of their life. Why would you do that? That's just dumb. So God makes you, puts you in a garden and says, all of this is yours. All of it. There's that one thing, don't do that, okay? But I give you everything. Everything. Now, only an idiot would say, I'm going to go eat of that one thing. You've given me everything good, so I'm going to do the one thing to make you not happy with me. Why would you do that? It's the dumbest story in the whole world. No, there's no because. There's, it's, just, it's just dumb. It is. And and that's exactly what I I relive every day when I know the will of God and I say, I don't care what you want. I'm going to do what I want. So that doesn't make any sense. Since when did that work out well? Never. But what do I do?
1: Do
0: I do it anyway. Okay? And that's the corruption of original sin is that our sin actually turns us away from our Creator, away from our Savior, to, to the lie that I'm God. And what I want is more important. And guess what? It just isn't very smart. Which is why the Holy Spirit is the one that constantly turns us to Christ, right? He turns us back to the cross. Roger, you had something earlier.
1: No, that's what I was just going to say.
0: Yes, it's eternal. That's right. Are we okay?
1: God's plan was to have Adam and Eve procreate and all of the, the offspring would be eternal on earth. Is that correct? Would they live forever had they not had the original sin? If that's so, wouldn't we have an earth
0: exploding with I have no idea. (laughs) The only story I know is the one that happened. I don't know the story of what ifs. I just don't know. The Bible doesn't say. The Bible never says, I know pastors say this all the time, but the Bible never actually says if Adam and Eve would not have eaten, this would have happened. It doesn't say that. Ever. The Bible never says this is what it would have looked like if we never sinned. It doesn't ever say that. You know what it says? It says we sinned. And this is what God did to save us. Now trust in him. That's what it says. And it does say when he returns, it'll look kind of like the garden, but it won't have any sin in it. So we imply from that what it might have looked like. But we have no idea. Here's the way the story went. It's in Gen- we did Genesis, right? <laughs> that's, that's yeah. let's do it again that's the story we know I don't know any what ifs or yabbits I don't know them neither do you and at that point we're just making stuff up because now we're saying well we're going to say this about God and therefore if God was like this he, we would have had to act like this because this is what you know and all of a sudden we're telling God how he has to be we don't know all I know is what did happen and what God has done to save us. That's all I know. So, I don't know. Sorry.
1: Okay. <laughs> Within with mission, God didn't he know that we
0: were going to... Of course. So then- he wasn't surprised by anything. It, God was not up there going, life is good. What? What are you doing? He didn't say that. No. He knew exactly what was going to happen the entire time. We are created into the image of God, which is Christ himself. Why? Because God is the God who saves. That's the biblical answer. You might, not, you might not like it, but that's the biblical answer. We went through
1: the part of Genesis at the beginning where uh-huh. God made the world and Jesus was present
0: when God made the world. Or Jesus made the world and God watched. Right. We'll see. Right. <laughs>
1: that's so what John right says. On, there was life through Jesus. Christ. So there was
0: a promise of Jesus coming later. The people... Okay. It. Because they, that's what Abraham believed. Yeah. Right? Okay. So this has been ongoing. I'm pretty sure I taught you that the God who was active in Genesis was Jesus. Right. <laughs> Not just the promise of Jesus, but it actually is God in the flesh. His name is Jesus.
1: So this has been applied since...
0: This has always been the way it was... Create um, the incarnation just made it kind of. Now we see him, okay. And John's gonna go back and review for us and say, "You were supposed to see him all the time back there, but you missed him because he wasn't incarnate. Yeah, it's hard to see. Yeah." Okay, so this is gonna be again the most stupid, stupid, stupid. Thing. Please bring it. Why is it so? Why is it so complicated? <laughs> <It's> God. <laughs> if God can
1: forgive sins, why did he have to have? I
0: mean, why did he have white? have all these parts, it makes it so confusing to me. Yeah. Like, what's Jesus or what's... Why didn't God forgive our sins?
1: Why, yeah. did, why did Jesus have to die the cross for that? Why didn't God just say your sins are forgiven? I, it just makes
0: it so complex. You mean? Because you Yeah. I, right. So so here's... I mean, this is one of the, the fundamental principles of theology is that God is simple. And yet he's impossible to understand. See, God is not complex. He's not made of a bunch of different parts. Like a car. A computer is complex, right? you got all kinds of stuff going on in there. But God is simple. He's just God. That's all he is. And when you are in the presence of God without sin... Guess what you'll know of God? Everything that needs to be known. It won't be hard. It'll be like breathing. But our sins have turned us away from that God. Literally, have turned us away from that God. And in in the place of that God, we have put ourselves. And now, that makes us turn toward God and see him not as he truly is, but with a filter, like a filter of ourselves, of our sin, of our own intelligence and rationalism, right? I was talking to, to Robin about this this morning. Was it this morning or last night? How, how the more we, we consider God through the, through the lens of intellect the harder it gets to be honest about things. Because when we look at God from a human intellectual point of view, the human intellect ends up defining God. Right? And we start having all these predications that we have put on. Well, God has to be this. Well, God has to do that. Well, God, And, and what have we done? We've told God who he has to be when the reality is is that... Um, it's it's this simple. It's this simple. Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? I learned it from the Bible because it tells me. So, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is That's all I got, right? And, and and that is really the essence of it. And, and the problem is, is that I don't believe that anymore. Because I've added to it all of this intellect and all this life experience and all this disappointment when God doesn't work out the way he should, right? When, when, when I pray and God doesn't answer the way I, sh- I think he should, then all of a sudden I've got these questions now for him and it's, it's no longer Jesus loves me, this I know. When you, when you talk to a little kid about Jesus, they're like, well, it's good, I prayed about it, we're all good, right? And you're going, boy, you just haven't learned yet. You know? Because what are you saying? God's going to let you down. God's not going to answer your prayer the way you think he should. And, and all of a sudden you come to this, one of these seasoned veteran Christians who's walking around going, God isn't easy anymore. He's hard. But, but if you read the scriptures, if you actually read the scriptures through the eyes of faith, it actually is very simple. It's very, very simple. God is God. You are not God. When that's the way it's working, life is good. The problem is sin has convinced you that it's the opposite way around, that you are God and God has to submit to you. And that's where it gets very complicated, okay? So in order to fix all that, what did God do? In order to show you that you're not God that he is, what did he do? He became like one of you, which doesn't make any sense. But that's what he did. And then what did he do? He rose from the dead, which doesn't make any sense at all. But, so this is where it's complicated now. So, so my, my answer is sin is what complicates God. When sin is gone, God will not be complicated to you anymore. He'll still be God and totally incomprehensible, but you will know everything about him that you need to know with no distractions. Okay? Does that make sense? I mean, it doesn't make sense, but That's that's the short answer.
1: Have blood, we have to have childlike faith?
0: That's why Jesus calls to have childlike faith, to, to simply believe him. and And the whole point of the Gospel of John is, Believe Jesus's words. Believe when Jesus speaks; he's speaking truth. Just believe it. Don't question it. Don't analyze it. Just believe it. Let it be true. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. I give peace to you. And what do you all say? Instead of saying great thanks, what do you say? You say I don't, I don't feel peace. I don't think so. See that now we're complicating it. It's very simple. I'm going to give my my life so that your sins are forgiven. We go great. Now can I sin some more? They go oh, why would you? Right, Pastor. It's the it's
1: the parallel of that when, when sin enters the world, all of a sudden God's complicated. Yeah. When sin wasn't in the world, it was really
0: pretty simple. It was simple. Well, and and there. and we don't have any question about who's who. Before it into the world, it's very clear. There's a God. He's in charge of all the big things. And, and men and women, what are they supposed to do? Supposed to garden. That's it. Just go garden. Oh, and by the way, there's no such thing as weeds. Everything you plant will grow perfectly. And Adam and Eve are like, eh. Right? They got bored. No, they didn't get bored yet. They were they were still eating pizza. It was good. Yeah, but that it gets complicated with sin. So that's the problem. It Gets complicated, and then you get these weird Bible teachers that make it all even worse. Who knows? It's not my fault. It was written in Greek. What do you want? All right. So everything found in Jesus. This is really the point. Is that in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the focus of everything. All of the Old Testament, all the New Testament, all of God's promises. He's the one that swallows up all of our sin, everything to Jesus. And what does Jesus do to show us that he is God? What does he do? In the Gospel of John, it's not the resurrection. It's the cross. It is explicitly the cross. He says this, I have told you all this so that when I am lifted up, That's on the cross, right? I will draw all men to myself. So the the lifting up on the cross is when Jesus draws all people to himself. In the Gospel of John, the focus is actually on the death. In the other Gospels, it's a little different. But in the Gospel of John, the focus of Jesus is the cross. Okay? It's a very Lutheran Gospel. Now, does he rise from the dead in the Gospel of John? Yes, of course he does. Because remember, in Christ, there's always a resurrection whenever there's a death. Because he's the one that conquers death. Okay? So, number two, all things were made for him, and then another was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Who wins? (laughs) The light. So, Jesus wins. He's the light. Darkness will not win. And if you are in the light, you get to win with Jesus. Now, here's what's going to happen. Nicodemus is going to show up and talk to Jesus when it's dark out. Who wins the conversation? Jesus. Jesus. You know part of that conversation because that's in John chapter 3. John 3.16 is part of his conversation with Nicodemus. What wins out? The light. Judas is going to betray Jesus, and it says explicitly that this happens at night, during the darkness. And it looks like the darkness is going to win, but guess what? The darkness cannot overcome the light. So even if they snuff out the light on the cross, what's going to happen? What does it say in John chapter 20? Early in the morning. When the sun is rising, they go to the tomb and the tomb is empty because the night does not win. The darkness does not win. The light wins. In in Revelation, the book of Revelation, there is no sun. There is no light source in heaven. They don't need one because the Lord and the Lamb is the light. Okay? So... Part of the Gospel of John, part of all of John's writings, is this hope. Don't give up hope. Your Lord wins. It might not look like it. it. might not taste like it. But in the end, your Lord wins. So if you are with Him, you get His victory. So stick it out. Right? There is no other source of light There is no other source of life. If you want to live, Jesus. Okay? Questions so far. So that is one of the main differences in the garden
1: and health then
0: because it was a light source. Yeah. And there was a moon and the sun. Yeah, that's why we don't want to make, we don't want to totally equate heaven and the Garden of Eden because there are differences, major differences. Um, yeah. The, the pictures of heaven that draw us back to the garden draw us back to aspects of the garden, primarily fellowship with God, um, a created world in which things are all good, there's nothing evil in it, right? So Adam and Eve aren't hungry and thirsty before the fall there's nobody killing each other before the fall these kinds of there's no sickness um, god walks with them those kinds of things but it it isn't 100% equated because there are differences
1: hopefully there's no serpents
0: well if they are they're they're friendly serpents you know they're not going to deceive us yeah i don't think there will be snakes but we don't know we'll see the best thing for me yeah i wish i shouldn't anyway there'll be pizza in heaven <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good pizza. Yeah. The best pizza. All right, so let's read um, 6 through 13. Yeah. So I'm going to read that out loud. It'll
1: all cheese pizza,
0: though. Cheese pizza. The right kind of pizza. Yeah.
1: There's no death, so you can't have any pork or anything on the diet. <laughs> <laughs> so, the sausage went through the
0: trees. <laughs> 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 Who knows? See, this is what makes
1: it so complicated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and complications.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Let's read six through thirteen. Oh wait. One last. Time. Pastor can't let go. Yeah. No, I
1: can't. Um, this passage uh, recently has been used. Uh, to bring light into darkness um, Thursday and Friday, worked with a family whose family member committed suicide. And as we as we spent time in prayer and scripture, this was the passage that brought light into a terribly dark, dark situation. And working with the family trying to make sense. How complicated life could be! Out of nowhere, you know that was the story. And of course, life is always complicated. Sin always complicates things. And um, but I just thought I'd kind of share this passage, this, this idea of the 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 light that can actually do it in spite of us and our darkness, and what Christ Christ can do shed hope when there is no hope when the very creator will come into this world to save us even when we can't make sense out of things that are that dark so I just thought I'd share that with
0: everyone so so this is the deeper dark the circumstances are so we talk about as Lutherans um one of the the, the kind of the foundational confession of Lutheranism is that we are saved by grace through faith. That we are justified without any merits, works, or satisfaction on our our behalf. I Means we don't do anything to earn it, right? But we are we are justified by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. And what we say is that's we don't do anything to cause that. It's all God's action, right? And that's. And that is what allows us to walk into darkness and proclaim that light has come. Not because of anything that we have done, but simply because of the action of God in Christ. See? See, what happens is when, when you start putting us into the equation of our relationship to God, now when things go haywire, we're not sure of whether or not God's on our side or not because we're not sure if we did enough to get him to like us or if, or if our loved one did enough to get them to like him or whatever. Or if they committed suicide, then we're not sure maybe God's just ticked off at them now, right? But that's not the gospel. The gospel can never be contingent on something a human does. But what John teaches us here, which is which is which echoes all of Scripture, is that... It's God is the one who acts. God does it. God brings light into darkness. He doesn't need your help. He simply does it by grace. Okay? And this is why it's so important to get this right in our heads to understand the the correct teaching of scripture is that, you know what? You, You never look at somebody and say, well, it's because you've done something good or because your faith was strong enough. Well, that, that's always helpful when things are going rosy, but when things stink, it better not be contingent on me. And the gospel is, guess what? It's not. <laughs> Which is why, again, I keep telling you, you can walk into any situation and say, I know God loves you. And they'll say, well, because, no, 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 no. Not because of anything you've done, or anything I've done, but because of what God has done in Christ. Right, Pastor? Absolutely. And that's, that's the power we have to bring light into darkness. Not my power, not his power, not your power, but the, the power yeah. of God in Christ that can never be taken away, no yes. matter what.
1: So a related, somewhat related question. We know historically, when did Arminianism happen?
0: and who was its primary initial proponent? When did that all get going? Okay, so so in, in the 4th century, so remember, whenever you say centuries, that means that the actual years were less. So 4th century is 300s, right? So the late 300s, there's this dude named Pelagius. Pelagius was a Christian who said that God saves us as a reaction to our good works. He was the first one to really teach this. That, that the, way, the reason God loves you is because you've done enough to make him happy. Right? And, and Pelagius was actually a, a teacher in the church who started teaching this. That, that God has grace on everybody and because of that, you can do enough good things to make him happy enough that at the end the scales will tip in your favor. Right? He's kind of liberal, isn't he? <laughs> well, actually that when he wasn't quite liberal. He was so just Somebody
1: must have taken him off,
0: right? Who so so Augustine <laughs> said, "You're out of your mind." Right? It's not works. It's grace. And faith. So this became the big the split in the church is, are you going to believe that you are, are you going to be Pelagian? And what happens is no one agreed with Pelagius. Even Pelagius at the end didn't agree with himself. Because he's like, I, I, nobody can be that good. God's got to help somehow. Okay? So what happened is it became known as semi-Pelagianism. Okay, so semi-Pelagium is the idea that, that God's grace will do a lot, but if you come along and help out, then God will be happy. But God's grace alone, without your efforts, doesn't really help. God's done all he can Won't you meet him and fill in the rest. Okay? That's semi This This became codified in the teachings of the Catholic Church. Right? Okay, this is in the Book of Concord. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Book of Concord. Okay? That semi-Pelagian really became the official teaching of the Catholic Church. That God has grace on you through Jesus Christ, and the result of that grace is that you are now empowered to do good works enough to earn his favor. Okay? And if you work hard enough... Then you won't go to hell. You'll get to purgatory, and then you can burn stuff off that you didn't finish there, and you'll go up to heaven eventually, right? That's 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 the way the way it goes. So if you have any mortal sins, that's a big problem. If you just have venial sins, just little sins, you'll be worked without purgatory. You're good. So what happened is the Pope said, "Well, here." Well, actually, the Church said, "Here's the thing: is that Al Al is so saintly that he's done more works than he needs to get to heaven." That's exactly right. And we call those works of super irrigation. Right? So now Al's got extra good works. We don't just throw those away. We store them up in a treasury of merit. So, so uh, Mary, the mother of God, while she was a sinner, according to our pastor, um, she did enough good works to save all kinds of people. So Al's good works that he doesn't need anymore, Mary's good works that she doesn't need anymore. You know, um, Saint Ignatius from the early church, his good works doesn't anymore. They're all stored up, and what I can do is I can give them to you to make so poor Karen isn't quite as saintly. No wait, I got this backwards. I feel like I got this backwards. <laughs> but you know, she doesn't have enough good works. So what we'll do is we'll take some of Al's good works and put them on Karen's account, and then she won't get to go to heaven. There you go. Okay, and that's the way you do that is you can buy them through what's called an indulgence. indulgence. Okay? So an indulgence is the the pope or the church giving you the extra good works that are left over and putting them on your account. Well, that just seemed quite silly. And whose
1: decision
0: is it Yeah, well, that's the, that's what that this is the point of the 95 theses. Is Luther's going, "Okay, this all makes sense. So if you have this, why don't you just give them to everybody?" instead of selling them. And the Pope's like, I don't think you understand budgets, Luther. i got to build a church. Right? we got a good thing going here. Don't bring it right? up. But, but what happened is, this all got kind of rejected with the, with the Reformation. And then what happened is, post-Reformation, Arminian, Arminius was actually a dude. okay. And what he said is, you don't earn salvation by doing good works. That's silly. We all know that's wrong. Luther helped us with that. But what you have to do is your will is active. You have a free will and you have to make a decision to conform your life to God's will and that will be counted as righteousness. So this is the root, the root of decision theology, is the idea that, that yeah, it's all grace, but there's got to be some role for us to play in all of this. So the role is that you've got to make a decision. Now what you'll notice is that free will is actually an invention in the line of works-based theology. Do you have a free will? No, your will will always sin. That's not freedom. That's bondage. Biblical teaching is that God alone works to save. Okay? So so what happened is this, this becomes really the mode of American Christianity when it comes to how are you saved. Right? So this is the popular teaching in our country right now. Whether you're... That kind of doesn't matter what denomination you're in. I've even heard Lutherans talk this way. Is that when it comes down to it, you know, God's done all this stuff in Christ. Now, won't you accept it? Won't you ask him into your heart? Won't you... See? And at that point, what are you doing? You're putting your salvation contingent on something in you. You. Which means when the chips are down, where's your hope? It's like, well, maybe I didn't mean that when I decided to ask Jesus in my heart. Maybe Maybe I didn't really mean, or maybe I didn't really understand, or maybe I really didn't... And all of a sudden, all this stuff that God has done in Christ is all secondary to maybe I didn't. And you've robbed God of His position of being God. So what we want to teach... Is that salvation, all the things of God are entirely contingent on God and they're all gift to you and that can't be messed up because it's already been finished here. You don't have to add anything to it. It's not like God has done most of it. God has done all of it and he gives it to you. Right? And he gives it to you freely. It's a gift. It's an absolute gift. don't
1: you have to believe in that?
0: Too? Do you believe it? I
1: do believe it.
0: How could you believe that? does it make any sense. So, what does Luther say? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, 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 believe. So, so, what happens is that you do have to believe it? Yes. But at, how do we believe it? Tom, how do we believe it? Tom, how do we believe it? Tom, how do, we it? Tom, how do <laughs> Holy Spirit man back there, right? Okay, so, so then even when it comes to faith, if I present to you the gospel and I say, do you believe it and you say yes, how did that happen? It's because the Holy Spirit worked faith in your heart. It's not because you came to some decision or because you intellectually figured this all out. Which means when I'm witnessing to somebody, I'm not trying to convince them. It's not through intellect that someone becomes a Christian. Right? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know without a doubt the Holy Spirit promises to work through the Word. So what you do is you consistently witness to the love of God in Christ. Just consistently do it. And, and trust that God knows what he's doing. I mean, this is the hard part. This is the complicated part, right? I, I got to trust that God knows what he's doing, even if it doesn't look like it to me. That person belongs to God, not to you. And the God of all grace, who sent his son Jesus Christ, cares for them too, and he will work in them. So, share within the love of Christ and trust in God. It's hard. But that's what we're called to do. Okay, so we didn't really get through verse six. Okay, so we got through two questions. That's pretty good.
1: <laughs> It'll take us three weeks to get through five
0: verses. It'll take us, yes. Three weeks to get we through two five two verses. <laughs> What's that?
1: Um, we got through those two
0: questions last week, right? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Kinda, yeah. Okay. Oh well So so the podcast will be on John one for the next year and then <clears throat> that's okay. So let's pray. Lord you have done it all and tomorrow we begin our celebration of our Savior born to live in this life perfectly. For our Saviour is our God in the flesh. And in Him and in Him alone, we put all of our hope, all of our trust, and in Him we rejoice. For in Him we know that we are loved by our God, that we are safe in our salvation, that our sins are forgiven. So as many families come together this Christmas, may Your grace reign in our conversations and our time together, and may all see the love of Christ and be drawn to His cross in hope and faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank y'all.